X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Wednesday, September 16th. I recorded a little different that time, so you know it's not just a robot doing the voice. It's Wednesday, September 16th. A good day to do what? Subscribe to The Local to share it with a couple of friends to help make a daily local news experience part of the habit of more of our fellow Portlanders. So not just plugged into that national news, that CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, if you can call that business. Today, back in the day, exactly 400 years ago, September 16, 1620, a ship set sail with a crew of about 30 and 102 passengers. The passengers had been living in Holland, a safe haven for Protestant Christians in 1608. Holland had signed a treaty with King James I, which stipulated that Holland could not host independent English church congregations. So that group set off to a land they believed was promised to them, although previous settlement attempts in North America like Jamestown just 13 years prior had not panned out. Those Puritans, those pilgrims, after a difficult journey, arrived on November 9, 1620, in what is now known as Cape Cod. To commemorate the 400th anniversary, a completely AI-driven passengerless ship will make the same trip across the Atlantic as the Pilgrims. That trip is expected to take 12 days. Those Puritans would go on to form the Plymouth Colony and hold an important and complicated place in American history. While they may have found religious freedom in a new land, they also helped pave the way for colonizers who would claim it as their own, robbing it from those who had lived there from time immemorial. And today, back in the day, September 16, 1964, the Columbia River Treaty was implemented by President Lyndon Johnson and Canadian Prime Minister Lester Pearson. The treaty serves as a recognition of the economic value of the river to both countries. It called for Canada to build three water storage dams in British Columbia where the river begins. The U.S. paid $254 million to help with the construction costs. Those dams, the Duncan, the Keenly Side, and the Micah, were supposed to help with flood control and to serve as hydropower generators. The treaty happened after a 15-year survey that started in 1944 and sought to find the best use of the river. The treaty was signed after nine diplomatic sessions between the United States and Canada, and that treaty lasts to this day indefinitely, as long as neither country requests it to be terminated. In 2013, some changes were recommended to add some environmental responsibilities to entities using the river for power. The countries are still working on the exact details of those changes. We'll start with your quick six news headlines. We also have an interview with Brooke Jackson Glidden, editor of Eater PDX. Emily Gilliland and Brooke discuss how the restaurant industry is stepping up with mutual aid. X-ray. First up, it is time for today's quick six local rundown. More people are seeking medical care and advice for breathing issues due to the air quality. I don't know if we call it good news, but yesterday it reached very unhealthy instead of hazardous. Today it might get even a tiny bit better. Emergency departments and clinics across Oregon Health and Sciences University have seen an increase in patients experiencing breathing difficulties. Same can be said for Kaiser Permanente. Health groups are encouraging people to use video-first virtual care due to the influx of patients with lung and heart conditions. They're advising people to stay indoors with a house sealed up, keep windows and doors closed, put damp towels down under doors and other areas where outside air might leak. If you have an air conditioner, make sure it's on the recirculate setting. And if you own an air purifier, now is the time to use it. Rain and westerly winds have been predicted for Thursday. Cross your fingers. Hopefully that'll help clear things up. Today's daily dose of coronavirus data. As of Tuesday, September 15th, the health authority has confirmed 184 new cases and eight new deaths. The state's running total is now 29,662 confirmed cases and 519 COVID-related deaths. And testing in Oregon has plummeted amid the historic wildfires. Fewer than 20,000 tests for last week. Low numbers are also expected this week. Smoke from the fires has shut down a bunch of testing locations. Officials aren't sure transmission will decrease with more people staying inside or will increase among people displaced by the fires. 
And if it's both, they're just not sure which it's going to be more of. My own hunch, although no one asked me, is that there were more people who stayed inside that got displaced from the fires. But data will tell. Public health officials also worry that exposure to hazardous air might lead to more severe COVID-19 cases among people infected this fall. Alaska Airlines has suspended all of its flights in and out of Portland. Alaska, along with its regional carrier Horizon, are temporarily suspending flights due to the fires. In a statement released on Monday, Alaska said they had stopped their operations in Portland and Spokane. They also canceled flights at smaller airports due to fire and smoke. This includes Eugene, Medford, Redmond Bend, and Pasco and Walla Walla in Washington. Those who have had their flights canceled or changed fall under the company's peace of mind waiver. I think that waiver means you can change your ticket without a penalty. Those unsure if their flights are affected are encouraged to check the flight status online prior to departure. A third-party candidate, Ashton Simpson, is going to challenge Representative Diego Hernandez in a race for the state legislature. Ashton Simpson is an Air Force veteran, works for the nonprofit Rosewood Initiative, and he's challenging Democrat State Representative Diego Hernandez on the Working Families Party ticket. Simpson has been active on transportation policy and active with the Metro Transportation Bond. Simpson said his priority is to get resources to East Portland, a community too often neglected. Simpson points to the Metro transportation measure as evidence of the underinvestment, and he had this to say, and I'm quoting, In this moment, there are things on the ground that our leadership has not taken a closer look at. So far, his campaign has the support of the UFCW, the United Food and Commercial Workers Union. The beloved downtown bar Bailey's Tap Room has closed its doors indefinitely. The 13-year-old business made the tough decision to close those doors. They hoped to bounce back in 2021. They opened back in 2007. It was a concept somewhat novel to Portland. They introduced a lineup of rotating taps. It quickly became sought out by tourists and local beer lovers. Bailey's also hosted a number of popular events like the New Oregon Breweries Showcase during Portland Beer Week and Brew Public's annual Killer Beer Fest. Once COVID-19 hit, Bailey's pivoted to beer delivery before reopening on-site again during Phase 1 reopening. The lockdown's effect on office workers and lack of visitors from out of state meant that Bailey's was unable to bring in its business back to a sustainable level. Beer delivery will continue through the end of this month, September, and hopefully next year, they'll be back. Some good news. Portland is now accepting applications for a new round of small business relief grants. The city allocated $15 million in federal COVID-19 relief money in July to support Portland's small businesses. $12 million will be distributed as grants following a two-week application period. The remaining $3 million will be given as block grants to community organizations who can reach culturally specific populations. The grants are meant to support businesses with fewer than 50 workers, as well as child care providers, commercial landlords, and some nonprofits. Application period opened Monday, September 14th, and will run through Friday, September 25th. The 25th, by the way, is when the X-Ray Awards are scheduled. You can put it on your calendar. Big shout out to the team who's organizing that, including Jennifer, including Annie, including Nina, including all of you who go to xray.fm and reserve your seat. And that is today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. Brooke Jackson, Glidden, editor of Eater PDX, is with us to discuss how restaurants are engaging in mutual aid during the wildfires, how restaurants are surviving, and how we can support. Here is Brooke Jackson Glidden. Good morning, Brooke. Hi, good morning. How are you doing? Thanks for joining us. Boy, it it has been a week. Gosh, it absolutely has. It's been a summer. A year. (laughs) We can extend that. (laughs) A year, yes, absolutely. So you summed up what's happening with the food scene in an article titled Restaurants, Kitchens, and Mutual Aid Groups Helping with Wildfire Relief. 
lot of places are making donations to those affected by the fires in the form of either meals or money. Is this kind of mutual aid unique to local businesses? You know, it's it's really interesting. Um, I would say that there have been, you know, there are a number of restaurants throughout Portland's history who have um, really prioritized aid in some form. Um, but this year, it's been really amazing to watch how many restaurants, just how many chefs have really stepped up and um, f- provided aid in a number of ways. You know, mm-hmm. so many food carts have, like, right when um, all the restaurants shut down, they started serving free meals to restaurant workers that were unemployed. Um, a lot of them transitioned into feeding first responders and, and um, frontliners. Um, and then, you know, some started to feed, you know, if you think about, like, Kiana at Keys Loaded Kitchen um, started to feed black Portlanders who, um, of course, are disproportionately affected um, by COVID-19. Um, so you've just seen this wave of aid throughout the summer um, that's really been orchestrated by, you know, food cart owners, restaurant workers. It's really kind of amazing to watch. And, you know, just obviously this affects so many Oregonians and restaurant owners, restaurant workers, they stepped up yet again. Wow. And is this isolated to just independent restaurants, or are we seeing franchise businesses also step up? Yeah. So I will say that places like Burgerville have been participating in providing aid. Um, but you're seeing, you're just seeing people across the board. You're seeing independent restaurants. You're seeing some chains. But I would say that primarily you're seeing a lot of small businesses mm. and some restaurant groups. So if you think of like your neighborhood restaurant group, which includes Laurel Hearst Market, 808, Reverend's Barbecue, those kind of restaurant groups are also providing aid. Mm. Now, restaurants are, we know, already suffering quite a bit from the pandemic, and now these donation programs could be stretching them even thinner. How have restaurants been making this work? You know, it's really interesting. Um, a, a lot of these restaurant owners have explicitly sort of um, opened up donations. So people who want to participate don't really know how to participate, but are regularly going to their local restaurants. Mm-hmm. The, oh, I noticed that, you know, uh, Sandwich or Malka is providing these meals. I'll pay a meal forward so it can be donated or I'll donate, I'll send some money over Venmo. I'll, I'll pay pay other people's meals in advance to make sure that this can keep going on um, and that the restaurants are also supported in those donations. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to the folks at Bernstein's Bagels and um, they had a customer buy quite a few of the bagels that they were just planning on donating um, just because they wanted to support the work that they were doing. So I think that there are restaurants that are ending up, you know, getting <laughs> their donations mm-hmm. covered by the community, which I think just really shows Um, the spirit of Portland in a positive way. That's wonderful. Now, in your article, you also mentioned Keys Loaded Kitchen and Renata have teamed up to provide a sort of catering-style mutual aid with firefighters. What are some of the logistics for that process? Right. So, you know, it's, it's definitely complicated. A lot of folks, you know, they decide that they want to help in some way, um, but they're not entirely sure how they're going to do it. So, you know, Key... Um, has just throughout this sort of process sort of moved forward and people have sort of helped usher in that process. So Keith ended up working with um, Tualatin Valley um, to help feed people in that way. Um, you know, it's 
across the board. Some people are driving food down. Some people are working with other organizations and nonprofits to sort of help make those connections. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's such a, a bizarre sort of process when you think about someone who has not doesn't necessarily have experience in, in this kind of aid, trying to find partners in mutual aid or nonprofits or just sort of putting out these social media calls and finding out who needs aid and, and doing that in that very direct, immediate way. Mm. So we're a week now into this smoke. How have restaurants been handling the smoke um, impact? You know, it's it's interesting because if you think about a week ago, a lot right. of restaurants, the way they've chosen to open, because it seems like the safest option, is with outdoor dining, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, they have closed off blocks and and built these sort of outdoor dining rooms they've you know put tables out in front of their spaces um and now it's not necessarily safe to be outside for that long especially to eat a meal so um some people have gone back into sort of takeout focused on takeout delivery some folks have tried to welcome people into their restaurants and focus on that kind of service I noticed a lot of people this weekend who tried to open ended up calling it by the end of the weekend just because it was a really a a drain on employees and and workers. Mm -hmm. And also service wasn't necessarily great. Not many people were coming out. Yeah. Now, taking into consideration, folks have to go back inside. They can't have tables outside in this smoke. Are workers in safe conditions if we want to continue to support restaurants? Mm -hmm. Uh, Should we? Can we? You know, it, it, it's such a tough uh, question to answer because some restaurants are better suited for this kind of service than others. Some places are very smoky and it's dangerous for workers to be in those spaces. Um, and some places are, you know, they're not really opening doors very frequently except for the occasional, um, you know, uh, delivery driver. Um, and they're able to sort of keep out that smoke. Um, I would say as a human being, um, if you are ordering delivery and takeout tip very well, because you know, those service workers, they're probably not getting hazard pay. Um, Mm. and I understand that people sometimes need to get a meal covered. Um, but definitely think really consciously about that worker when, when you make that choice. Yeah. Thank you for that advice. And how can folks who are listening help these restaurants meet donation goals and stay afloat? Absolutely. So that story that, that you mentioned earlier, um, it has links to each individual restaurant sort of page. I would say um, if, you know, if you're starting there, there are links to Venmo accounts that, that various restaurants have been collecting donations for. Um, there are, you know, organizations like Feed the Mass and, um, you know, uh, Symbiosis that are taking donations. Um, any Any sort of, I would say, Look at your favorite restaurant's Instagram page. See if they're calling for donations or linking to other restaurants that are or organizations that are. And, um, you know, there's everything from PayPal to Venmo to just, like, supply and food donation requests. Excellent. And, Brooke, where can our listeners find your writing and your work? I am at pdx.eater.com. Excellent. Brooke, thank you so much for joining us this morning and filling us in. Absolutely. Thank you. It's Brooke Jackson-Glidden, editor of Eater PDX. You can find out more at pdx.eater.com. X-Ray. Thanks to Brooke for joining The Local, and thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. Thanks for subscribing, giving your five-star review. If you got story ideas or questions, ways we can make the show better, email us at thelocal at xray.fm. Thank you, Democracy.